People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon introducing you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Now listen to this. At a glittering event at the V&A waterfront just a week or so ago, Cape Town Opera announced a diverse, innovative and creative program for 2022, encompassing both the artistic and the educational. Artistic director Magdalene Minard, who began her tenure with the company at the beginning of this year, seems to have hit the ground running because after immersing herself in all aspects of the company, she and Cape Town Opera are now ready to contribute to the well-being of the arts in a post-COVID environment. And Magdalene Minard is a celebrated South African soprano, director and producer, well known in the music industry locally and abroad for setting new trends and challenging conventional boundaries. And we're going to hear about that. Uh, Magdalene has sung over 30 operatic roles, including the big famous ones like Lucia in Lucia de Lamamor, the Queen of the Nights in Die Zauberflöte, Gilda in Rigoletto. She's also a frequent soloist in performances of concerts and oratorios. So, Magdalene Minar, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Rodney. Thank and you so much. Your year seems to have got off to an exciting start because you've only just joined, and now there's this really elaborate launch that you've done for the year. So you've been doing homework and lots of work. That's right, yes. It's been a very, very exciting start for my year, and it's been incredibly hard work to, to get to the point where we actually have a press release to send to people <laughs> with everything that we're planning for the year. So and apparently it was good. a lovely event at the V&A. It was lovely. It was at quite a special location, actually, at Maker's Landing, which is this wonderful um, space at the at the Cape Town Harbour um, where different food vendors can kind of experiment with food and we just thought we want to do something new and fresh with opera and um, so it was it was a, quite a special launch I must say. But Magda it seems to be a thread in your life doing something new and special with opera you want to make opera accessible without destroying the actual brand am I right in saying that? That's right, but it's so strange because it was never my intention to have that as kind of a motto for my life, but it's just, it's something that I enjoy doing and it just comes naturally, so it's just become, I don't know. Because some people call you a musical rebel. Yes, I've heard that. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I don't offend people, but yes, uh, I do like reinventing. I think it's very important for us, especially at the tip of Africa, because we, opera is such a Eurocentric art form. It's very, very important that we keep re-looking at from different angles and um, reappropriating it for for our socio-economic Exactly. We have to, don't we? Otherwise it doesn't, it won't work. We do. Absolutely. And when this opportunity was there for you to take over as artistic director of Cape Town Opera, did you jump at the idea or did you hesitate or did you think, hmm, I wonder... Or was it too exciting to resist? I think it's an open secret by now that it's pretty much my dream job. And I remember even in Professor Angelo Gabato's days, I I just like coveted this role that he had, (laughs) all these things that he was able to do, directing and 
doing the programming and selecting works and working with the artists. It's kind of a left and right brain position and it's just absolutely what what I've been kind of grooming myself for um, in my entire kind of makeup of my of my, my career. Gosh, so, so I'm talking to a very happy, very happy, but very challenged person. My only problem is that I don't know what I'm going to do after this. So oh. <laughs> that is a problem still to be solved. But wait, most importantly, you're not going to stop singing. Absolutely not. No, I, I absolutely cannot. It, that is very deeply ingrained into the fibers of my being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that is both a passion and also, I believe, a, a form of not only communication, but also a form of therapy for, for myself and for others. I've always seen it as that. And I love singing. I love working on projects, um, exciting projects. So I will never stop singing. Because I was just thinking it must be slightly tricky if you're the artistic director. You might not want to cast yourself. I, I will in, never you, cast myself. <laughs> I think that would be a, a serious conflict of interest. You'd, so wait, you'd wait for rest, the director. Rest assured. Cast. No, yes. yes. Well, I, I, I would never, let's just say that, I would never sing for Cape Town Opera. Oh. Um, I just think that that would be really strange. Um, I have made a career as a concert singer. When I started directing a couple of years ago, I took the decision to not do roles anymore. So that is a thing of the past for me. The last role that I did was, I think, in 2015 or 2016. And and ever since I have only directed and I sing in recitals and concerts, um, but not in productions. For me, it's far more exciting to, to direct a production than to sing the role. That's interesting you should say that because very often the directors come from having retired from singing. You know, they're too old or they've got tired. But now you're at the other end. You're still young. You've got a fantastic singing career, but you want to direct first and foremost. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's your control freak side. That is my control freak side. I I suppose it's just that thing. I'm, I'm so interested in so many different things that I... I have learned from a fairly young age to cut myself into into different shapes and kind of hone in on specific skills. And I remember very poignantly in my first years of studies at UCT's music school at the South African College of Music, I went to Professor Angelo Gabata's office and I said to him, I have a really big conundrum here because I want to become a director. What do I do? Do I stop studying music? And he said, absolutely not. You keep singing. You keep doing what you're doing. And I said, well, how do you learn to be an opera director? And he said, you read a lot, you watch a lot, Mm -hmm. and you just start. And that's what I did. I'm sure we're going to hear some opera in your choice of music today, Marceline. So let's take a, your first choice. And I think you've, you've uh, chosen pieces that are coming up in the course of the year, haven't you? So what's first? I have. I wanted to almost do a little map of what we are going to be hearing coming from Cape Town Opera. And I would like to start with, which is our first production that we are doing this season, which is um, Opera for Babies. <laughs> yes, okay. Which is, um, I've always been very interested, as you know, with um, with my Little Maestro's concerts and with Clever Classical Kids, which is something that I started in the past three years. I've been very involved in early music education and I started Opera for Babies because I believe that we should build our audiences from birth upwards. And so we are launching Opera Blocks, which is for 
um, zero to 18 month old babies with their parents and it's a little 40 minute production that we're putting on which we started last Friday uh, which is very exciting and what I would like to um, play now is Belle Nuit which is one of the beautiful duets by Offenbach which um, our singers will be singing.
Well, that's one of the very famous duets in opera, Bella Nuit, known also as the Barcarolle from the Tales of Hoffman. And we heard there Joan Sutherland and Marilyn Horne. And it was the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Magdalene Minar, who is currently Artistic Director at Cape Town Opera, and they've just launched a very exciting 2022 season. Magdalene, before I speak more about the actual season, this thing we spoke about, Opera Blocks, which began on Friday, I mean, this is part of your passion as well, as you said, to get young people involved. And you've got various, you've got other educational things on the go, haven't you? Yes. That you founded. Yes, so I started Little Maestro's Concerts when my son was very young and I couldn't find something that I you know, kind of approved of classically. Um, so I started these concerts and they were very, very popular um, across the country, actually. And um, when I had my second child, I, I didn't have find the time to continue with it. And eventually that idea of Little Maestros kind of became what is now a registered company, um, Clever Classical Kids, which we are rolling out to school teachers and music teachers as a kind of an accreditation or a licensing. So it's a program which you can accredit yourself to. And we give you a, a full curriculum for for the ages of um, zero to seven years old. This is a very exciting project which has taken many, many hours <laughs> and passion and trials. Uh, you know, we've we've tried and tested the the whole thing with with our live classes, and it, it's a really wonderful program. Now, is this affiliated to Cape Town Opera, or is it something quite different? So, Clever Classical Kids is not affiliated to Cape Town Opera. But the opera blocks I designed or conceptualized for Captain Opera with all the knowledge that I have from Clever Classical Kids. And these are two completely separate entities. And by virtue of me being at Cape Town Opera permanently now, I, I, I don't spend as much time on my other, on my other businesses. Um, but Opera Blocks, we are supported by an occupational therapist who helps us to, to provide a program that is actually developmental and stimulating and um, it's attuned to the different ages um, mm-hmm. for their specific milestones and needs. Okay, gosh, it sounds fascinating and challenging again. You're clearly a woman who likes challenges. I do. But uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about your philosophy, uh, lectures about her philosophy, the art of being a cockroach, how not to be a starving artist. <laughs> What's that all about? So what I, a title. Uh, yes, it's... Um, The thing about a cockroach is that they will outlive atom bombs um, and they will always have food and it's very hard to kill them. So It is, and I have a (laughs) paranoid about about cockroaches. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, I have thought of changing it to, to the art of being a... You know, a chameleon, but the cockroach just seems to be the thing that people, that gets people talking, and it's a very nice icebreaker. So I started doing workshops a couple of years ago, and and subsequently lectures at a couple of universities around South Africa. And um, I always, because I'm passionate about the business side of classical music, I always um, do these as a kind of an introduction. And my philosophy is that we don't have to be starving artists; we can be thriving artists. And the cockroaches get it right because they never starve. They, in fact, <laughs> they thrive they in thrive. numbers. Absolutely, they um, do. And this, the whole philosophy of being a cockroach became very coloured in through through the whole pandemic, where um, a lot of artists were 
finding themselves out of a permanent position or having to choose another road. I, I'm thinking of people like stage managers and, you know, technicians and designers who suddenly just had the f- carpet ripped f- um, Gosh, from under them. I, I mean, um, how devastating. So a lot of this philosophy is about how to find your side hustle. So... Um, it's about finding the extra skills to keep you thriving throughout difficult situations because, let's be honest, being a freelance artist is not an easy career. I mean, I, I was a freelancer for a very, very long time, and there are always months where it goes extremely well, and then there are those months where it does not go so well. And then you have the 2008, we had the big fiscal crisis, um, and we've had various uh, different eras in the past couple of years where where the arts really suffered. And I think uh, it's possible for all artists to, to thrive. So who do you give these talks to? So, so this philosophy is worked into the lectures that I do for um, on on the business of of being a singer um, for the oh, various universities, and oh, I, I I was prior to getting the position that I'm in now um, writing a book about all of this, but that has um, gone on the back burner because you are clearly rather busy. I am rather busy. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Just let's go back to the uh, season, and I know we are playing um, some excerpts. All the music you've chosen isn't it uh, from what's happening this year so now I'm just going to ask you as we go along your next piece of music what's that going to be and why so this is a fun one uh, this is our first production for adults and it is an immersive experience at the Vineyard Hotel called Bon Appetit so the anchor piece for the night is a very beautiful, exciting, interesting piece by Lee Hoiby, the American composer. And it's a one woman, he calls it a melodrama, but it's a one act, one woman opera sung for us by the phenomenal Yanel Fasahi. And it's on this deliciously decadent chocolate cake that Julia Child used to bake. Um, and it's it's an extract from her old PBS recordings that she did for a television program. And the concept that I put together for, for this production, Bon Appetit, is all related to food. So the chef, Mike Bassett, of the Vineyard Hotel is putting together a six-course dinner wow, for us, wow. um, all relating to the various pieces. We have the omelette quartet by Bizet. We have the, the ice cream sextet um, from Vile's street scene. We, um, the coffee cantata. We have the coffee cantata, the famous coffee cantata yes, by yes, Bach. Yes. And then the extract that I would like to play is um, a very short, interesting little piece called oxtail stew or oxtails and um, this very short song cycle which is not often done by Bernstein um, has four recipes he calls them ancient recipes but they're just old French recipes Um, the first one is plum pudding Um, the the next one is que de boeuf which is oxtails in French then there's a very interesting Turkish dessert which is the tavuk quinxis and then the song cycle ends with a very quirky number um, rabbit at top speed (laughs) (laughs) so which one are we hearing we are hearing oxtails okay are you too proud to serve your friends on oxtails you're 
I've never heard before, oxtails from, what's it called? Uh, La Bonne Cuisine. That's right. By Leonard Bernstein. A little quirky piece there for your show at the Vineyard Hotel. We're talking to Magdalene Minar, who's the artistic director at Cape Town Opera and who has been responsible with your colleagues for a really fascinating season. And we're going to play you some excerpts as we've done from the season, like Blocks, the Blocks, which we heard just now, and the concert called Bon Appetit. But you know what? I just want to talk about you a little bit, Magdalene, if you don't mind. Um, these roles that I mentioned, Lucia, the Queen of the Night, Gilda, they are the big dramatic soprano roles. Are you a dramatic soprano? I was previously a light coloratura, but my voice has expanded. I've always had a very big range, kind mm. of a strange range. And, and um, interestingly enough, the late Professor Peter Klatso used to always say to me, Magdalene, you know, uh, I think you're a mezzo-soprano. <laughs> um, and he was trying to convince me for years that I'm actually a mezzo-soprano because I have a strong lower range, mm-hmm. which I think is the thing that you're perhaps picking up on that sounds like a dramatic soprano, but I'm a far cry from a dramatic <laughs> soprano. Okay, okay. My voice has changed now that I would be singing roles like Fior di Ligi in Così Fan Tutte, so the, the slightly more heavier lyric Mm-hmm. Roles, but I, I would say that previously I was a light lyric, and now. A full but I mean, lyric. Lucia. Surely oh, there's not a light lyric, is it? That is, uh, it it depends. It always oh. depends on the setting. It depends whether you're doing it with full orchestra. It depends whether you're doing it in a small house, in a big house. Uh, there are so many various factors. Also, with your casting, uh, you know, of you can. Course, of course. If your Edgardo is a very heavy um, tenor, then obviously the soprano has to match that. Uh, so it's all in the casting. Okay, but also talking about coloratura, the Queen of the Night, famously, as well as Gilda's aria in Regoletto Caranome, which is very much um, a typical coloratura role, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, yes. So we're not going to hear you in Wagner just yet, or Aida? Uh, absolutely, definitely not, no. Oh, you no. said that rather too emphatically no. for my liking. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do love the works okay. by Wagner, but that's definitely not my, my voice type, sadly. Right. Okay, okay. And so now that you're very much on an administrative side as well, at least you've said you're going to continue singing, but you're not going to cast yourself. Although, as you did say, you're very involved in our work and the next thing actually on your list from Cape Town Opera for 2022 is Messiah, Handel's Messiah which you people are doing as opposed to a normal sort of philharmonic choir or anything. Yes and I, I know that, that that's a little bit of a stretch or a, a strange thing for us to do but I just felt that post-COVID we, mm. we had to kind of think outside the box a little bit and when I heard that uh, the Cape Philharmonic Orchestra was available over the Easter weekend. I just put two and two together, and I spoke to Louis Heinemann of yes. the of the orchestra, and he said, "Absolutely, it's a wonderful idea." And um, so started the idea of doing an oratorio, and then we decided we absolutely just have to do Handel's Messiah. It's just such an iconic piece. Our entire programming this year is is very much around. We are returning to the stage and we are putting on, for instance, our Icons concert um, with our very well-known opera chorus is called Icons because I just felt that uh, it's it's high time that we hear the, the hits again. Yeah, of um, course, the hits and, indeed. 
and Messiah is full of hits. And I just think it's great news that an opera company is doing Messiah because you normally hear, you know, the Philharmonia Choir, those choirs. But Cape Town Opera Chorus has won endless awards and has had a fantastic sort of reputation, hasn't it? So to hear them singing those great favorite choruses, I think is going to be a treat. Absolutely. And also it's in a very beautiful, quite an iconic church in Paul. So it's this massive space mm. with this massive sounding choir I think they're one of the best in South Africa with obviously our, our wonderful um, soloists from Cape Town Opera Okay, and Brandon Phillips will be conducting that Yes And then there's just before our next piece of music uh, The Duet Gala Concert Explain what that is What is the Duet Gala? So the Duet Gala is a fundraising collaboration Between Cape Town Opera and the Cape Philharmonic Orchestra And for us it really is a highlight Well, fundraisers are important, of course, aren't they? Hugely important Absolutely So so the, the gala actually funds an endowment trust Which is a very important um, entity for us As yeah. both Cape Town Opera and the Cape Philharmonic Orchestra And we actually take turns to organize these wonderful gala events And this year it fell on my plate <laughs> <laughs> um, Which is exciting because I could actually... Um, choose the soloists and also the conductor um, so we have decided to bring out uh, the German Polish conductor Adam Schmidt who is um, coming to do a phenomenal program I mean you mentioned Wagner earlier yes I see and Puccini, you mentioned Wagner. Aida it's um, there, there's <laughs> some really one wonderful um, treats um, for instance the Tannhäuser overture right, which is gosh. just such a treat to hear you know yeah. A lot of repertoire that is well known but does not get done often. Um, for instance, Korngold's very beautiful um, aria for baritone. Um, and we have an absolutely stellar lineup of, of soloists. Gosh, it's all sounding good. But now we're going to take another piece of music. And it's from the first real opera, which I see comes up in autumn, Le Nozze de Figaro, The Marriage of Figaro, one of the greats. Um, so before we start talking about that, tell us what we're going to hear from The Marriage of Figaro to whet our appetites. So we are going to listen to Se Vuol Ballare, um, which is Figaro's aria, which he sings about the Count, um, saying that if you want to dance, I will play my guitar. Se vuol ballare, signor contino, se vuol ballare, signor contino, il chitarrino le suonerà, il chitarrino le suonerà, sì, le suonerà, sì, le suonerà. Meglio mi arcano di simul 
quando scoprir potrò. Darti schermendo, darti doppiando, dico pungendo, dico scherzando, tutte le macchine rovescerò, rovescerò. Darti schermendo, darti doppiando, dico pungendo, dico scherzando, tutte le macchine rovescerò, tutte le macchine rovescerò. an aria from The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. There you heard the voice of the baritone Bryn Terfel and a choice of my guest, Magdalene Minar, on People of Note this week. And as I've been telling you, Magdalene is the recently appointed artistic director at Cape Town Opera, which by all accounts you thrilled about, Magdalene. Mm-hmm. And they've just launched their 2022 season. And The Marriage of Figaro comes up in June, thereabouts. And um, I like the way it says here, it offers a good dollop of farce, adultery, role-playing, and cunning scheming, <laughs> touching on abuse and mental health issues, which is all there, isn't it, in that opera? It is. Isn't it just wonderful? <laughs> but you're touring with it as well, aren't you? It's not just Cape Town that's going to see it. Yes, absolutely. So this is... The biggest gift that Cape Town Opera got in the pandemic is that the Judith Nielsen Trust gives annual money for for two tours, uh, which is supposed to service the kind of mid-career singers in South Africa. So it's a wonderful mandate for us to follow, and it obviously gives us the opportunity to reach reach further than just Cape Town. So last year we did... La Boheme, which went to the Eastern Cape, which was really exciting and it went incredibly well. Um, unfortunately, still with half capacity audiences <laughs> yes, through, course, with, yeah. with COVID. So we are hoping that that will be lifted soon, obviously. Lenotse di Figaro, we are actually taking to Joburg, which is very exciting. Um, and soon after, we will also tour with, um, with Lelezier da More, um, which is, uh, planned for a different section of South Africa, but we earmark a section and then we take the opera there, which is really, really wonderful for the audiences. And all that is a result of this trust that you've been given, this exactly. trust fund. Gosh, gosh. So, I mean, in a, in a sense, I'm getting the sense that Cape Town Opera is in good nick at the moment. Having survived, I'm sure, rather difficultly, um, the pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, I think the metal that Cape Town Opera showed through through COVID is going to pay off in dividends. I mean, it's just a, a whole lot of out-the-box thinking and having to come up with, with different ways of programming opera, um, which got them, you know, uh, through the woods, as mm, it were, mm. um, and and it leaves me in my new tenure with a position of not being on the back foot, really, yes, which absolutely. is really wonderful. Well, they said you hit the ground running, and you've also got a quote here, Cape Town Opera has chosen the theme of diversity, sustainability, and creativity this year, and that you are convinced you remain one of the most diverse opera companies in the world, and although 
that sounds like quite a claim. If you think about it, you probably are, because most opera companies in Europe are focused on their Western audiences. Correct. Where the, we, we've got to diversify. Well, th- that thought actually came up in an international interview, and the interviewer asked me, "So, so talk to me about your diversity, because that's a very hot topic in the in the operatic industry in in the U.S. and in in Europe, especially at the moment." <laughs> and I said. Well, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think that we are probably one of the most diverse, if not the most, um, if I dare say that, diverse opera companies in the world. Because it also dawned on me that Artscape, which houses us as an associate company, is one of the most diverse theater spaces for people with disabilities. So we not only have the diverse angle on our singers and our practitioners and administrators in our company um, in terms of race and sexuality and all of the kind of common diversity, but we also have the added benefit of being associated with this forward-thinking theatre space, which is just, Mm. I mean, how incredible. Yes, I hope the interviewer agreed with you and that he took note of that (laughs) (laughs) because I absolutely agree with you, You, It's an extraordinary situation. You mentioned La Zia They say it's one of the most performed operas. It's got that great tenor aria, uh, Una Fortiva Lagrima. So tell me a little about this production. This comes up when? Oh, October, also touring. This is also a touring production. So, so as I said, the Judith Nielsen Trust has been our lifeline because um, we can we can actually put up these these productions and and tour with them. Um, and so, you have to kind of be very careful with which opera you choose because it has to be tourable. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously, every body on stage costs um, in terms of accommodation and travel and all of those kind of logistics, which are um, less sexy, shall I say? <laughs> um, so, I won't say that it was hard. It was was fun, but quite a challenge to find the the right operas that fit that bill that are still well known enough to be, you know, easy on the ear once we reach perhaps an area like, for instance, Bloemfontein or Kimberley, which hasn't had opera in quite a a while or a a full scale opera. perhaps. What a treat for them as well now. Absolutely. And and I must be honest, for us to go into these theatres, you know, it's it's just so wonderful to to be in these spaces. I mean, we found this absolute little gem in Graaf Reinet called called the John Rupert Theatre, and it was phenomenal to be in this space. Um, and we've got our, our entire country is beautifully dotted with these theatres, which um, often just stand kind of unused. Uh, so it's wonderful for us to go in, and we we do a little bit of repair work. Um, I'm sure you have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's part of the fun. But they also operas with not a huge cast and massive chorus in that, aren't they? Yes, the Lilizier has as a chorus, but we're thinking of very creative ways of incorporating that as a small ensemble, and okay. also reducing the orchestra into a small ensemble or just piano on stage. So there are various permutations with these touring productions to make them kind of fit into one truck as right. it were <laughs> yes literally i suppose singers stuffed in the back as well maybe not, not literally <laughs> but almost literally <laughs> um Marceline, what are we going to hear from lizia de more so we are going to listen to the beautiful um aria it's adina's first aria delle crudele isota
an aria from Donizetti's magical comic opera, La Zia de More. What was it called, Machlari? It was called Delle Crudele Isotta, Adina's beautiful aria. And my guest is none other than Magdalene Minar, who is now the artistic director of Cape Town Opera. We've been going through the launch of your 2022 season in this program and wonderful things you've spoken about and we've heard little excerpts, but there's so many other little bits that are perhaps less glamorous than A Night at the Opera. For example, you have an intake of young artists every year or how does that work? So we we offer, an, uh, it's almost like a, an artistic internship um, for, for what we call young artists. Previously it was called the Cape Town Opera Studio, which I was a part of. And it's basically a training ground for for young professionals at the kind of precipice of their of their career, uh, and we were in the very very fortunate position to be able to offer new positions to three singers. Um, we still have um, one young artist who is finishing his his tenure, which is two years, and um, Luazid Lamini. So he's still with us. So we in fact now have our full. Um, capacity of four young artists. Now, do these young wonderful. artists work with you? They are based at Cape Town Absolutely. Opera. Absolutely. Then who teaches them and how does it work? Yes, yeah, so they are full-time with Cape Town Opera and perhaps I can even just mention their names because Please we're so do. excited to yeah, have them. Absolutely. Um, we have Alida Stuerman and Monica Monguana, both from Gauteng, and they had to relocate to come and join us. So it's very wonderful to have those two um uh, female voices with us um, and then Van Wijk Venter who is from, from Stellenbosch and then we, we still have Luazi Lamini who is the older young artist, <laughs> okay. not the older he's and just do, been there for a year Do these people audition to get so in? That, yes, very very kind of yeah, um, strenuous yeah. audition process um, we absolutely hand select um, these these young singers to see potential, but also already a well-developed talent and uh, vocal technique. So they are of the absolute highest caliber um, in the country. And we do the whole journey with them. They are a part of our productions, not all the productions, and they don't usually get the big roles, but they will become understudies or the smaller roles. Um, sometimes they do do lead roles, but they basically we give them the opportunity to start filling their, their CVs, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the end, we vow to kind of help them find a, an agent or a house. Where and they who can, does the teaching? I teach myself. Um, it's something that I started doing in the past five years. Um, so I do vocal training, which is, I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> so I teach um, Lisa Thomas teachers. Uh, we have various teachers in our in Cape Town Opera. But then we also, um, our singers are all allowed to use whichever teachers they have. So, you know, there are some phenomenal teachers in, in Cape Town and they are free to select whoever they want to, to learn with. Magdalene, do you get help from government or province? Because I see here something was made possible, this Youth Development and Education Department, Western Cape Government Department of Cultural Affairs and Sports for the City of Cape Town are helping you. Yes, it's a, I suppose, a bit of a contentious point because we um, we have recently been very disappointed with some government funding not coming through, which is absolutely devastating. I mean, we are looking at, at finding sustainable or more sustainable resources of funding all the time. Um, luckily, that is not my, my main role in Cape Town Opera because 
um, uh, it's it's a bit of a you know it's it's a that's a hard position mm-hmm. to be in it running is. a running an opera company. We're already a non-profit company, um, and and Alex Gabriel, uh, who's our managing director, he really has his work cut out for him to secure the future of opera. Um, because we we feel very strongly about the fact that we are the only kind of remaining operatic entity of its size in South Africa and definitely um, one of the only ones in Africa. And we feel almost responsible for the for the operatic kind of makeup of mm, South Africa, world, calling absolutely. it the, the ecosystem of, of opera in South Africa. Mm. And we really do bring our part. So so it's a bit disappointing when these when when funding doesn't happen because opera is expensive. But let me tell you about something very exciting that we have started is uh, we call it the Opera Lab, which is a free training program for for young singers to come and join us. We have selected 11 pianists and singers to be our kind of guinea pigs for um, for our pilot version of the lab. And they come for weekly uh, workshops and masterclasses with with the most wonderful lecturers and um, we we recently had the Balcanto Bootcamp here from from um, New York City uh, who gave us the most wonderful masterclasses for a week and so we are really pulling our weight here in terms of providing <laughs> these platforms. It's been so exhilarating talking to you because the pandemic has, of course, we kept wondering what happened to the orchestra, what happened to the ballet, what happened to the opera. And just seeing this launch, and you've got lovely press coverage as well in De Burger, um, it's been uplifting and it's going to be a great year. So congratulations, Magdalene. Thank you. But Thank before you. I let you go, we've got to hear your voice. Now, what are you going to sing for us? <laughs> so I've chosen something from a project that I did in the pandemic um, and it's called Songs of Hope. Uh, it was a collaboration with the conductor Alex Falkins who now actually resides in the US and um, it's a very beautiful song by Edvard Grieg sung in Norwegian and it's called Solfege's Song. And this is your voice, you singing it for us, because it's a beautiful, beautiful aria for the soprano. It is a very beautiful song, and it is um, very beautifully played by the orchestra. And uh, we called the orchestra the Ensemble 528, and 528 is the frequency of healing. Um, and so it was a, it was a very, very special uh, project, and we will soon be releasing this on all streaming platforms. Okay, Magdalene Minard, it's been great talking to you, and all strength to your arm for the year. Thank you so much, Rodney.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.